Welcome back to Social Soul Podcast. My name is Jess. And I'm Haley. And before today's episode, I'm just going to give you guys a quick life update for my trip to Denver that I took. Um, Last episode that we recorded was right before I went to Denver. And I've actually had a lot of people be like, when am I going to hear about Denver? And when am I going to hear the update? So here it is, guys. The update you've all been waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, for those who may not know exactly what I'm talking about, I had met a guy end of September in Sedona at a bar, um, exchanged phone numbers with him, stayed in touch with him, kind of like built a really good friendship with him, got to a point where I was like, okay, I kind of like him. And he was like, I kind of like you too. And we were like, well, we should like actually hang out with each other. Only problem is he lives in Washington, D.C. And I live here in Arizona. So that made it complicated, but we just enjoyed each other so much that we wanted to meet up with each other. Um, He'd been looking to move away from the East Coast. Colorado was kind of on his list of possibly moving to. So I was like, let's meet up in Denver and get to see a new city together. Um, first off, I think it's really funny that I even flew somewhere to meet a guy because that sounds like fucking very sketchy and everybody's like, this is kind of scaring me, but I like literally have had full trust in this guy. Like there was not one part of me that even was like worried at all, which is crazy because like I had a whole like five therapy sessions earlier this year about how I thought every guy I went on a date with was going to like be a serial killer. So yeah. That was kind of crazy for me to feel like that comfortable with somebody. But um, so we went to Denver for three days and it was so amazing. Got along perfectly. Um, Great sex, (laughs) I will say. (laughs) Matching tattoos. (laughs) We ended up getting matching tattoos, little mushroom tattoos on our arms. Um, Yeah. Uh, Overall, it was just a great fucking trip. Great fucking time. I actually cried. What? I was just going to say confirmed how you were feeling, but no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely confirmed, like, how I felt for him, Um, vice versa, like, confirmed for him, too. Um, When we said, okay, so our flights left at the – well, mine was, like, shortly after his leaving the Denver airport to go back, right? And so we had to, like, say – by in the airport I'm like this is like a fucking romantic movie like this is like I've never like experienced this kind of situation before you know like saying bye to each other in an airport um so it was really fucking hard I did not want to say bye to him at all um and then when I once I said bye to him and he walked away and he like went through the gate to like get on the plane I definitely started crying like and then I had to walk a little bit to go to my gate And my mom was calling me because she wanted to hear all about the trip. And I was like, I can't answer the phone right now. (laughs) I'm (laughs) so stressed and crying. Um, I pulled my shit together and it was fine. But I just didn't expect to like have that strong of feelings for somebody, you know, after like really that only being the second time that I hung out with him in person. But yeah, so from there – After that, we obviously kept talking a lot, and we were very openly communicated how much we cared for each other, and then it got to the point where we had a conversation about, well, actually, I had asked him if things were to, like, keep progressing between us, 
Like at what point would you consider like taking this to the next step because we are long distance, right? Like I wasn't, I don't know if this guy's even really up for a long distance relationship. I didn't really know where he stood on any of that. So I was just curious. Um, into which he replied, he was like, I would have made you my girlfriend yesterday. And I was like, oh my God, that's so fucking cute. <laughs> Everything he says is so fucking cute, by the way. It's ridiculous. Um, and then I like, for some reason was like, I can't just like agree to be this guy's girlfriend over text. Like that's kind of weird. Right. So we had already planned another trip for him to come back for, come to Arizona for new year's Eve. So I was like, okay, like I definitely want to be his girlfriend, but like, I would like to be asked in person. And so I told him that I was like, I have like no doubt about taking that next step with you, but maybe we can just like discuss it when you're here in person. And he was like, totally understand. Like, that's totally fine. And then the next day I woke up and I was like, why the, like, what fucking difference is this going to make? I knew it was going to be like that. (laughs) He's not dating anybody else. I'm not dating anybody else. We told each other that, but like, we're not going to like call each other boyfriend, girlfriend until we get in person with each other. And then I was just like, that's fucking stupid. So I texted him and I was like, yeah, I don't want to wait. I want to be your girlfriend now. <laughs> so that's how we started dating. Officially. So Jessica has a boyfriend. So yes, got myself a new man. This is like the best post-Denver update we could have all hoped for. Right? I know. I honestly, well, what's weird is I didn't have any doubts going into it that we weren't going to get along great and that it wasn't going to be amazing. Like there was literally, I just like was like, there's no way that this is going to go wrong. Um, I didn't know that we were going to like commit to each other afterwards. Like, you know, that is a big step that I wasn't sure when that would happen, but I'm very, very happy about it. Um, I will say that I feel like he is probably the most perfect person for me that I have ever chosen in life. So good. I feel like he's my soulmate. That's so cool. (laughs) Can't wait to meet him. Yeah, and it's actually funny because I was texting him and he mentioned – he's mentioned a few things and I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but there are three things that Dustin is obsessed with. What? Yeah, I can't remember – I can't remember what they are. It was like a t- – it was a TV show or something. I think two of them were like TV shows or somebody's comedy specials or something. I don't remember. Okay. Um, And I was like, I feel like you're going to be best friends with Dustin. And then I told him and I was like, and Haley always says that Dustin's like the male version of me. <laughs> so, and he was like, oh, so I'm really going to be best friends with Dustin. He's really going to like him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I really man. have no doubt in my mind that you guys are going to get along perfectly. <laughs> so cool. Well, I can't wait. Yep. Um, so you actually might get to meet him in February. When I'm down there for the Girls Gotta Eat show? Because he might look for a flight to fly out the same day that you come in. Cool. So that he can meet you because he really wants to meet you. Cool. Well, I'd appreciate it. (laughs) I haven't booked my flight yet even, so I need to get on that. Yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. We got some time. (laughs) Okay. So should we get into the episode? Yes, definitely. Okay, so I'm really excited for today's guest. You guys have probably heard me talk about Amanda on the podcast before. She's been like one of my greatest teachers with going alcohol-free 
And I was just like really excited to be able to get her on the show. So Amanda is an alcohol-free lifestyle expert. She's a holistic life coach, speaker, and author living, working, and playing in Austin, Texas. As a coach, Amanda helps ambitious, soul-centered women stop drinking and start manifesting the life they deserve and desire. She teaches a modern approach to personal development, self-actualization, and spiritual enlightenment through the lens of elective sobriety. Amanda is currently under contract with Penguin Random House Imprint and Avery to publish her first book, Unbottled Potentials, which will be on shelves in October of 2023. I cannot wait to read her book and to share it with you guys. So let's welcome to the show, Amanda Kuda. Amanda, I'm so thankful that you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, I am so glad to be here and talk with you ladies today. Now, before we get into the interview and all of the amazing insight that I'll know you'll have to share with our listeners, I just wanted to dive into a little bit of your background and I'm hoping that you can just start us off by sharing a little bit about your personal experience with going alcohol free. So just like take us back to how that all started for you. And what led you down the path of helping other people navigate this sort of lifestyle change as well? Yeah. So I think it will help to also understand where I started drinking and why, um, because it's not very different from how any other person who's probably listening to this experience adolescence and adult and young adulthood, which is I, that's when I started drinking when I was about 17, when all of the other you know, kids my age were stopping from going to sleepovers on the weekends and starting to go to basement parties and kind of have this a little more individuated lifestyle. And I remember not really thinking that was cool at first until slowly but surely more people trickled into the party crew. And I realized it was kind of you had to join them if you wanted to have any friends. I lived in a really small town. And so I was never one who was super popular. I ran with the popular kids that I was not by and large popular. And I realized that if I wanted to keep my kind of social status, I needed to start drinking. And so I did. And much to my surprise, alcohol was this magical elixir that turned me from this shy, really self-conscious girl who didn't, who knew she didn't fit in to someone who really didn't have a clue that she didn't fit in at all. And was like willing to be super outgoing and um, be a little more crazy and go and party and be fun, be fun. What I thought was fun. Um, It was just something that allowed my outgoing side that I wanted to always bring out. It allowed me to take down that barrier and kind of bring it to the forefront. And so alcohol became the social lubricant for me from the time I was 17 um, through my 20s. I really carried that into college. And as I came out of my shell more and more, alcohol was always there. And so as I started exploring, you know, dating more and romantic life, alcohol was there to kind of be liquid courage to talk to boys, to go on dates, to navigate conversations, also continuing as a social lubricant. And sometime in my late 20s, I got into a romantic relationship where alcohol was a really big piece of it. And I realized as that relationship dissolved that the only serious conversations we ever had were fueled by drinking. And at that point, I started to realize something's really messed up about this. Like that's if this was like one of the loves of my life, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And so that was the first time I really started second guessing drinking 
but I didn't feel like it was a possibility to take it out of the picture. It just didn't seem possible because all of my social engagements, again, were wrapped around drinking. And I was hanging with a crowd at that point that was very much a social, um, you know, social crew. And they were out at these like ritzy happy hours and charity events and all of these things. And I just didn't know any other way. So in 2015, let's say 2015, I got the wild hair and the universe pulled me to Austin, Texas. And I knew when I moved to Austin, I'm like, cool, I won't be around these same people anymore. I'll be in this new place. I can be a new version of me. And at that point, I had started down a spiritual path. I had really um, decided I wanted to have this different life for myself. I wanted to shift from being a Carrie Bradshaw type to more of a Gabby Bernstein type. And I had this fantasy in my head of what that would look like. But I thought, okay, well, this will be easier because I'm moving. I can become this new identity. And that didn't really work out very well for me, ladies. That did not happen because I automatically fell right back in with this party crew when I got to Austin. I was right back in with the young professionals who had time to blow and money, you know, time to kill and money to blow. And I was out partying every weekend. And then on the weekdays, I was reading Gabby Bernstein, reading all of these spiritual books that I really wanted to embody. And essentially, I was living a double life. And it started to feel really exhausting. So I lasted about a year doing this like teeter-totter of woke on the weekdays, you know, party girl on the weekends before something said, Amanda, you can't do this anymore. And that voice was really intimidating. And I know that both of you ladies can reflect on your stories and these as well, because at that point in time, there was nothing besides AA. It was you quit drinking because you're an alcoholic or you figure out how to make alcohol work for you. And I wasn't an alcoholic, but I'll tell you what, I sure as hell wasn't figuring out how to make alcohol work for me because every time I tried, it just, it didn't, it didn't work. I always went overboard or I always just didn't feel good about myself. And so finally in January, 2017, I decided I don't care if there's no one talking about it from this perspective. I just have to do it. And so I quit drinking just with the intention to do it for a while. And a while turned into a while longer and a while longer. And slowly but surely, I started talking about this journey and people started coming to me and saying, hey, I feel that way too. And that turned into, we can dive into it more, but that turned into a coaching practice that has now become my full business. And a big part of my identity in the world. So um, a really cool, unexpected, intentional, but also unintentional journey to get here. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love when you talk about the double life that you are living, because this is something I can really resonate with. I think you've even shared on your Instagram, like screenshots of your Instagram grid of like partying and then like the books and all of the spiritual stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding. If I scroll back to my Instagram, like before I quit drinking, it is like the exact same thing. And I just love that you call that out. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. I yeah. think a lot of people just can see themselves in your story from when they started drinking and then why they continue to drink moving forward too. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm so glad that I think that that would be a valuable exercise for so many people who are maybe curious about this path is look at the different people that you're trying to be and ask, 
how is the most ideal one working out for you? And for me, I could see truly there were screenshots of, you know, the really the spiritual book, like pose next to a coffee cup and some flowers, and then me completely annihilated on the weekend. And I'm just like, these two things don't match up. And it was really humbling to go back and look at those pictures and see what I so desperately wanted, but how I was really keeping myself, I was getting in my own way and keeping myself from having that. And some kind of tricking myself, maybe even to thinking that I had it, but I didn't, I didn't have that spiritual life that, you know, self developed life that I wanted, because I was so like clinging to this other like, half ass mediocre, not even that fun life that everyone told me I was supposed to be enjoying. Yeah, this is actually so interesting to think about, though, like the whole Instagram feed and like the different people that it shows that you've been trying to become. Mm -hmm. Because like, like me, I've had Instagram since it became a thing, right? So like, there's a lot of years of my life on my Instagram feed. And sometimes I scroll back and I'm like, who even was that? Yeah. (laughs) Look at those pictures. And then you're right. It's so interesting to see when you're starting to like want to become a different version of yourself and it's like intermixed with who you still are in that moment, but you're like trying to change. Mm -hmm. That's just so interesting. I feel like that's such, such good feedback for anybody that's like trying to, you know, whether it's stop drinking or any big change in their life to go back and look at your Instagram feed and look at those different versions of yourself and see which one you really want to be. Yes, totally. Homework assignment for everyone listening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it can be a really good testament though to the leaders and like the people that you have in your life too that kind of call attention to maybe this feeling that you have deep down that you can't really vocalize. And I know I personally experienced that coming across your social media page and then you did with your other teachers when you decided to quit drinking too. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that you do share a lot about, which you've already kind of touched on, is the energetics of alcohol and how quitting drinking can really deepen your spiritual connection and just be a powerful tool for manifestation. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if you can share what that connection is that you found between spirituality and living alcohol-free and just a little bit about how the two things intersect. Yeah. Yeah. So I will give you, and thank you for asking, because this is something that I didn't understand until after the fact. And then once it hit me, I was like, whoa, that's what was happening to me all this time. And so I think that it can be really helpful for anyone going in this process because most of, you know, probably the women that you speak to and definitely the women who come across my stuff are all on a path of personal development, growth, um, sometimes a spiritual awakening, and maybe they don't have quite yet the words for that. But what I was experiencing is, you know, I knew that I wanted to find this spiritual connection and live a life that was fulfilling and happy and joyful and a manifestation of my, my wildest dreams. And so in a spiritual perspective, we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. So whether you consider yourself you know, spiritual, religious, atheist, agnostic, whatever, you are still inherently a spiritual being. And in the spiritual world, the spiritual practice I most closely follow is this massive text called A Course in Miracles, which is like one of my first, don't start there. I definitely, that's what I did. But um, I started this exploration into this text called A Course in Miracles. And it teaches that we have two different perspectives through which we see the world. One is through the lens of fear and that is the that is the voice that tells us that we're not enough, that we need to compare ourselves, that we better watch our back. It 
seems to be there for self-preservation. And that's the, that's the voice that we most commonly are taught to listen to on our society. And the other is the voice or the lens of love, possibility, potential, and connection. And that's a voice that exists inherently with all of us, but so often we have attuned so much to the voice of fear that we're unable to hear the voice of love. And what happens when we drink alcohol is that we do something really funny. We amplify the voice of fear. And you've all felt that even if you, you don't quite understand what I'm saying, you felt that the next day when you have that anxiety and you start running through your head with who am I, what am I doing here? Is this ever going to change? Is this all there is to life? Did I, you, and you even have this unspoken feeling of remorse and regret as if you did something bad or wrong or off the day before. Right. And so everyone can, has experience with that amplification of the voice of fear through drinking. But what it also does is it dilutes or muffles down the voice of love within you. It makes it to where you can't hear it. Not that it's not always there, but it's as if you've given the voice of fear a megaphone and it's as if you've given the voice of love a busted up. Are you ladies even old enough to know what a bag phone is? My grandpa had a bag phone that you like, it's this giant phone. It was the first cell phone that comes in like a lunchbox, basically (laughs) gets terrible reception. It's like, you're giving your, the voice of love, the oldest cell phone available and it gets zero reception. Right. And so that's what you're experiencing. Every time you're drinking, you're drinking, you're amplifying this voice that tells you you're not enough. That tells you, you should be in judgment of yourself and others that tells you that things aren't going to work out. Um, and then you're getting rid of this voice that's telling you what's possible for you, how much potential you have available. And so energetically, alcohol is just blocking you from that spiritual connection. It's not that alcohol is unspiritual or that you're bad, wrong, or evil if you drink. It's simply a block in the communication process. So if you want to have better communication with your inner self, with the voice of love, with the voice of possibility, with the universe, spirit, God, a higher power, whatever you want to call it, One of the fastest ways to do so is to remove alcohol from the picture because it's just something that dilutes the communication. And, you know, from a manifestation perspective, uh, manifestation is just clearly communicating your desires to the universe. And again, if your communication device is muffled, you're not going to get a clear message through, nor are you going to receive a clear message back. So I hope that kind of explains it in a simplified terms that it's just like, screwing up the communication that you have available. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting though, actually, because people, when, you know, they think about like getting too drunk and having bad communication with other people mm-hmm. is like the experience that everybody knows can happen when you're drinking too much, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't have said those things to that person. Uh, but nobody really thinks about like the communication with yourself mm-hmm. and like that relationship that it's also affecting. So I, I appreciate you talking about that. Yeah. Well, I can definitely relate with getting drunk at times and then really that voice of fear and insecurity and lack of confidence where those things would come out and maybe they'd be portrayed to my husband in a certain way or mm-hmm. in my friendships a certain way. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely like resonate with that sort of thing too. Yeah. And that's not the real you. Maybe those are real things that you want to communicate, but your highest self doesn't communicate through anger and rage and, uh, you know, whatever other types of personality traits that we all have that come out that are a little less favorable. They're not our highest self and are not our best communication tactics coming out when we're drinking, even though it might give us the courage to say something, it's not real courage because you're tricking yourself into it. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I kind of wanted to switch gears and talk about sober dating because mm -hmm. I know this is something that you've touched on and you can speak about from experience. So I'm curious if somebody is like sober curious, they're sober dating, if you have any advice for them to help them feel more confident getting out there and dating without drinking. Mm -hmm. And also I'm curious if there's a certain time that you might suggest for somebody to just disclose that they don't drink. Yeah. This has been a big part of my journey because I've been single I've been sober six years and I've been single ish five of them. And, um, I've there again, no one was talking about this when I came into the scene. So I had to figure it all out on my own. And on top of that, because I didn't start dating until I started drinking, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had zero experience to refer back to, which also means that the version of me that was coming out to the dating scene was a under-resourced 17-year-old girl, right? And so I had a lot of catch-up to do. So I just want to acknowledge, like, for any of you who are out in that scene who are feeling anxious, to first of all, just give yourself a little grace and remind yourself that you have stunted your own growth and that maybe there's just a little catch-up to do in terms of feeling self-confident, feeling, um, having the ability to communicate your needs and desires clearly with other people and, you know, just be the romantic partner that you desire to be. And for that, I would say my number one tip is to not try to necessarily jump right out into dating to maybe date yourself for a little while and take some time to get to really know yourself and who you are and what you want. And that version of me has evolved drastically from the first year when I was, when I was sober dating and I'll give you a couple of different um, frames for this, which I think are a little edgy and a little different than what some people maybe would would share. But, um, you know, first of all, I one of the ways most prominent ways most people are probably meeting partners right now is dating apps. I'm I think they're a great tool. Honestly, it's a great tool for practice. So when, when everything that I say right now is approaching it as you're practicing with dating apps, knowing that you could meet the one there, but it's a great practice because even if you quote unquote screw up, there's another partner to dance with right around the corner. So if you step on someone's toes or make a fool of yourself or misstep, there's always somebody else waiting in the wings to practice with again. But what I would say is that, you know, if I was approaching this from a recovery standpoint where recovery was my number one thing absolutely 100% lead and disclose with that as something that's very important. For me, I'm not in recovery. I'm just alcohol free. I just choose to be sober. And so that's something that has been foundational in my life. But it's not my full identity, despite the fact that it's like my Instagram bio and my website and everything that I do revolves around it. It's still not my identity. So I choose to look at it as um, not something that's going to um, lead the conversation, but I choose to bring it up pretty early because I also want to make sure that my partner or potential partner is a match for that and is congruent with that belief and behavior. So, okay, where do I want to start here? A couple things. One is it's not my identity. So I never list it first on dating apps, but I do make sure I bring it up in a conversation. And I also optimize for the fact that as a non-drinker, I have different taste in romantic partners than I did as a drinker. And so I also optimize for, it's not, I'm not judgmental towards people who drink, but I'm also not looking for a partner who's completely sober. I just need to make sure that they are appreciative 
and actually not even appreciative, well, beyond appreciative, that they see my lifestyle choice as a value add to their relationship. And so those have been the best partners for me, not someone who's like, okay, I can tolerate the fact that you don't drink, but someone who's like, wow, that's, can you pass on here? Yes. <laughs> I figured so. But someone who's like, that's fucking badass. That's so cool that you're choosing to do this. I am really attracted to that. Even if it's not the lifestyle choice they are playing in, someone who admires it, right? I don't want someone who's just tolerating the fact that I've made this massive lifestyle change that's making me a better partner and making everything I do better in life. I want someone who thinks it's really cool. And so I want to make sure that when I do share it, that I portray it as that and not as a, oh, I'm not drinking. So sorry to be such a drag, but like, (laughs) Hey, I don't drink anymore. I hope that's cool with you. And so I choose to, if not, I'm going still on dating apps, I choose to disclose it pretty quickly in the conversation. So um, if someone asks, so let's say someone really aggressively or assertively asked to meet for drinks, I would say something like, oh, hey, I actually don't drink anymore. I don't mind if you do, but I prefer that our first date not be um, at a bar. And then I prepare because I've neglected or I've rejected their first choice. I prepare to give them an option in, in exchange. I'm, so I'm going to play uh, tennis or whatever back and forth with them. I say no, but how about this? And so for me, I tell them as early as possible. And if they don't bring it up, I make sure to mention it. So, hey, would you like to get together for a date? And I would say something to the effect of, yay, yes, and hey, this didn't come up, but um, I actually don't drink anymore. I can't, you know, I don't mind if you do, but it's a personal lifestyle thing for me. So I'd love if we can go on a date where we meet for coffee or go on a walk and can really get to know each other. So you'll notice that I'm doing a couple things here. I'm saying, I don't drink. I don't mind if you do. But we're also not going to drink on the first date. You're not going to drink on the date. And that's really important because I don't want to be tempted because I get uncomfortable. And guess what? If I can come to a date with my awkward, full, nervous self, I want a partner who could do the same. And I also think that's so important because if you across the table from me or next to me on the walk or whatever could be my person, then it shouldn't matter that we're not drinking. It should be fine that we're both awkward. And so my big things are disclose it immediately. And I also, I won't say never, but very, very rarely agree to a first date where either where alcohol is involved. I just think it's better for connection if you can optimize to be in a place where the other person is also not drinking. So those are my two big frames for sober dating. And I'm happy to answer any other questions But those have been the most successful things for me so far. I actually have a question. Yeah. Um, I think it's the Hinge dating app where you mm-hmm. can actually say if you drink or not. Yes. Like no on one pays your profile. To it though. Do they not? Okay. I was no curious. One pays attention. Honestly, I feel like I've met people where how they live their life is entirely different than what they fill out on those mm-hmm. things. Totally. So I, like I don't know how serious people are actually about it, but I was curious if you say that you don't are on there. I do. So on that, you know, I'm not on any dating apps right now. I just am like meeting um, whoever I'm going to meet them in the wild. And, but when I am, I think both Bumble and Hinge have, um, ways to say that you don't drink, um, that like to where you can mark it to where you don't have to write it in your profile. It used to be yeah. something you had to write, but you can like choose it. And then you can also optimize the sorting for people who are, who, who don't drink or who drink rarely. The thing with that is though, is that I, as, again, I don't mind if my partner drinks, but it's, 
what is their relationship with it, right? And mm-hmm. the I think Bumble is the worst that they're like their options are social drink socially or don't drink. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck is social drinking, Bumble? The spectrum of that is very broad. So if I want to open myself up into that range, then I have this whole slew of people who think that they're social drinkers and <laughs> I don't know what their interpretation of that is. So for me, it's almost like too much to sort through. Um, but then when you go down to non-drinker or people who don't drink, you really, really limit the pool. So it's just kind of a, a double-edged sword of trying to, um, I think you should do that, but also still disclose because people don't read very carefully. So it's important to say, hey, don't know if you caught this on my profile, but I actually don't drink anymore. So um, wanted to let you know just in case that's a lifestyle ma- mismatch. Mm-hmm. I think that's so cool that they include that on there. It now. is. I yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I think Hinge has the best one. Bumble needs to step it up a little bit because there's leaves a little too much open for interpretation. Yeah, definitely. And also on Hinge, it's like you have to like scroll all the way over on the little bar to like even see that. And like most of the time, honestly, I've done this before where I don't even read through that part. Yeah. On people's profiles. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of it's, it's hidden in there. Mm hmm. I love that you touched on finding somebody that sees it as a value add to your relationship too, because if I'm honest, like I feel like not drinking has added so much value to my relationship and allowed me to show up better for my husband too. So, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that he appreciates that even though he does still drink sometimes, like, yeah, he has a good relationship I feel like that, with it. that probably saves you from going out on dates with guys who try to talk you into drinking too if they mm-hmm. have that kind of reaction to it, whereas the other reaction where they're like, oh, okay, like, yeah, yeah. cool. Then they're like, mm, maybe I can get her to take shots with me when we go out. That's yeah. probably the Yeah. And I, I mean, let me be honest. I did not filter that much at all when I first started and I got into a lot of situations where I'm like, this is uncomfortable or we're just on different levels or we have different life priorities. And um, I mean, I met a lot of, I guess you could call them really interesting people, but um, (laughs) you know, that's also you, I was going on dates that I was doing it to make them comfortable. And so we were still going like out to bars or places. And honestly, a bar is a bar or any place that's loud is a shit date because then you can't have a conversation with someone. And I know it's hard. I know it's awkward, but yo, we're all awkward people. So just be awkward, go on a walk, go to coffee, do, do something else and actually have a moment to be like in real connection and have a proper conversation. Yeah. And what a way to weed people out and not waste your own time mm-hmm. by going on those kind of first dates rather than the dates where you just get wasted drunk. And then the next day you're like, I don't even know if I really learned anything about that person. Yes. And then you're like in for another date to try and figure out, mm-hmm. do I like this person? Your whole like emotional center is off. So the best thing to do is like, Hey, I'm fully present. I can fully feel if I'm into this person or not. And anxiety that like, like the butterflies and everything that you get when you're dating someone, the nervousness, that's important because that's like a guidepost telling you, you know, what your, your emotions are, what you are feeling towards that person, which is what a relationship is all about. So yeah, I think sober dating is at first it was scary, but now it's fun. And I know that I'm, you know, so much of a better date than I was five, six, seven years ago when I was just focused on, you know, showing up and being whoever that person wanted me to be and and drinking. And that's all I was doing is trying to be a projection of what I thought other people wanted. And now I'm maybe sometimes still that, but mostly me. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Haley, too, for, well, both of you actually, just for, you know, being in your own experience. And I think that, you know, for people who are married, like you are, Haley, like just sharing that, yes, reflection of I am a better partner. Like no matter where you are in this journey, you are setting yourself up to be a better partner to your current partner or your future partner, 100%. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, something else that I have learned from you is actually the myth of moderation with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I think often people have this fantasy in their minds of, I should be able to moderate or I just need to learn my limit with alcohol. And I actually think that sometimes this is something that holds people back from quitting or it actually Mm -hmm. leads them back to drinking because they have this idea that they should be able to moderate after they've taken a break. So I'm curious if you can share what you've learned on why moderation actually doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's part of the old model, right? That it's either AA abstinence or moderate, figure it out. And there can be something in between that's just like, I don't want to waste my time figuring this shit out. And that that's all it is for a lot of people is it's you're spinning your wheels trying to figure out something that is unfigureoutable because you're engaging with a substance that doesn't have any level of intelligence to it, right? Uh, In fact, it has like a high level of unintelligence and unsophistication. So um, one of the the ways that best helped me understand this, though, is an article, and I can send you all um, the link to it to put in your show notes, um, by Gretchen Rubin um, called Moderators versus Abstainers. And it goes like this, that there are two archetypes of people. One is a moderator. And a moderator automatically just innately um, moderates things in their life. So you give them, they do better with um, making choices than they do with absolutes. And this is going to be pretty much across the board, especially when it comes to consumption. So with food, with anything, they like to set limits and they like, they're pretty good at staying within those limits when they have them. Um, Then there's people on the other end of the spectrum, which are abstainers and abstainers are better off with all or nothing goals. And what is, really important about abstainers is that what it does is it takes the pressure off of them. So they don't always have to be wondering, when will I have this thing? How will I work through it? How will I play within the rules? And then what will I do if I fail with the rules? Like there's always just this track running in the back of your head. And so it eliminates that track. So you have one less thing to worry about. And when it becomes a no for abstainers, it kind of becomes a no problem. So for me, when alcohol was always like a maybe more often than not, I maybe meant it was a yes. And because alcohol is a habit forming substance that yes, turns into yes, then plus like yes, and too many. And for me, once it was taken out of the equation, and it was just a no, I am not doing this period, it's non negotiable. It became really freaking easy, because I had I got to stop spinning my wheels about it. And it could just be a no. And I think that it's been long enough for me that I could be a maybe, maybe, but also I've gotten to the point where moderation to me equals living a moderate lifestyle. And I don't want a moderate lifestyle. I want a lifestyle that's really beautiful and expansive and feels happy and joyful. And that's how I feel right now. So why would I even want to fuck with something that's going to take up my mental space, take away my energy, take away so many things that I've gained in my life that I know I didn't have before And that's exactly what moderation feels like. However, I know that if you're at the beginning of this journey, um, it can be very tempting to try and figure it out. 
um, it can be really tempting to um, try to cold turkey moderate, which I've never heard work really well for anyone. But for someone who's like abstained for a while, it can be feel really like seductive and lucrative to try and go back and now have a moderate relationship. And I've been doing this long enough that I can tell you that I've not heard an example where that has been successful. Um, because most people have this fantasy that they will be kind of a born again drinking virgin. And what actually happens is you go back to the last marker in the sand. So if your last marker in the sand was drinking three nights a week, pretty heavily, it's pretty easy to get back to that, whether you've quit for three months, six months, or six years. I have several clients who have quit in the five, six, seven year range who come back to me um, because they're like, oh, well, I had this thing happen or I thought I was going to try and moderate and it didn't work out. And now it's the second time around and it's even more difficult and I need some support. So just know that even people who quit for a really long time end up typically trying to moderate and then going back to a past version of the relationship. And I think it's just a question that you have to ask, am I, am I happier or am I willing to believe that I can be happier, healthier, more productive, more embodied in my authenticity and my potential if I keep this thing up and, and just continuing to explore that. And um, not kind of being seduced by seduced by moderation. I think it's a really important conversation to have. And there's, I mean, so many other little rabbit holes I could go down here, but that's kind of the gist of my philosophy on moderation is not that it's not possible, but that it is kind of a fantasy that a lot of people have and fantasies don't typically turn out as we had planned. Those two archetypes that you mentioned, how would you find out which one you are? Yeah. Just like intuitively knowing or is, I mean, I love a good online quiz. Yeah. Are there online quizzes for this? So, so she doesn't have a quiz, but in the article, it gives several different bullet points. And so, you know, I, moderators typically are not asking the question of how do I figure out how to moderate? <laughs> you know, they just do it. Whereas abstainers are like, I need to figure or figure that out. They're like, I'm going to get to moderation. Um, and um, they're also like, okay, so for me, for as an abstainer, if you were to show me a plate of cookies and you gave me two options, you can either have none or you can have one. If I chose one, even with a cookie, it would probably turn into three just because I'm like, oh, now that I got the flavor in my mouth, I kind of need to go back for another one. Um, also for me with it's um, like working out is another um, all or nothing. So it's not necessarily abstaining. Like think of it more as all or nothing. Either I'm working out consistently or I'm not working out at all. And so you just kind of have this um, accountability thing within you of how you how you show up. But yeah, the, in the article, it'll give you all these bullet points to kind of go through to decide which one you are. But if you if you, especially in relation to alcohol, have found yourself kind of trying to make up those rules in your head of when will I drink, how much, um, and for what occasions, it's, you're probably an abstainer who would, is someone who would do better just saying, fuck it, this is too much to think about. That's so interesting. I've never heard that before about those archetypes, but it makes so much sense. Yeah. Do you feel like you are leaning, like you lean towards one or the other? I honestly don't know. I feel like I'd have to think about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, take the, take the I, I would say take the quiz, but like look through the bullet points and see which which ones feel good to you. Oh, I definitely will be. I'll be, I'll be looking through there for sure. <laughs> Jess, I definitely feel like you're more of a moderator than an abstainer. 
Really? Yeah. Well, even she's, just she's like known me since first grade, so I'll yeah. believe her. Well, just thinking about workout habits too. Like I feel like you can just like occasionally work out. Like it doesn't need to be all or nothing. And I, I don't know. know. The thing about the cookies tricked me though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, also, it, it's also like, what is your weakness, right? So if cookies are just yeah. a weakness. Like that one might be an outlier, but it's, it's with almost anything. Like if you have trouble with once it's, once it's a maybe, then it's a, well, maybe a little that you overindulge, then yeah. it could be that you're an abstainer. Yeah. We'll have to include that in the show notes so yeah, that our listeners totally. can figure it out. That's one of my favorite concepts. I like to talk about it a lot because it gave me a lot of insight and just permission to realize like, I'm not broken and I don't have mm-hmm. to um, identify with the word addict to say that this thing, alcohol is not for me. I can just say I choose to abstain because it's easier and clears up all this mind space for me. Yeah. And I definitely resonate with that too. Mm -hmm. Like just clearing up the mind space. Don't have to worry about it. Like once I took it out of the picture, like it was totally fine. Like you said, once it's a no, it's no problem. Yes. And that's just how it's felt for me too. So Mm -hmm. I feel like you can just- very evident, Haley, that that's what like you went through for sure. I just feel like- it for so long. Yeah. I- I think Amanda is just so good at putting words to how other people are feeling. So I think it's just awesome that you do show up and share the things that you do because there are so many people I know out there struggling like I was that need that permission slip as well. So um, the next question I wanted to ask you is just for somebody who's maybe relied on alcohol as a form of liquid courage, how can they work on feeling confident without drinking? Because this is something I know you've done yourself. Um, and I love seeing you just confidently show up on social media, like in your Britney Spears Halloween costume, <laughs> like just things like that. So I'm curious maybe what's worked for you or what advice you'd give to somebody who who is looking to feel more confident without using alcohol as a crutch. Yes. Um, well, The first thing that I want everyone to know is that it's not that you can't do anything that you are afraid of without alcohol. All of the areas where you are afraid to show up, whether it's for something emotional where emotions feel overwhelming or if it's something for social um, where a social experience feels overwhelming, it's not that you can't do it. It's just that you don't, don't have practice. It is just that that muscle is weak. And so if you have been cheating at anything your entire life or your entire adult life, of course, it's going to feel confronting when you have to do that thing and not have the cheat. So one of the analogies I've, I've always used is like, think of if you've, um, you've swam your whole life, but you've always swam with a life vest on. So you think you can do it. You know what it's like to be in the water, but you don't really know what it's like to swim. And if someone threw you a, a cheater swimmer into the water without a life jacket into the middle of the ocean, of course, it would feel scary. And you could figure out how to float if you just relax and give it a try. Okay. So what I want you to know is that you are, um, your growth has just been stunted. And if you practice and slowly and safely show up, this isn't a couch to 5k or couch to marathon thing. You don't want to just like go thrust yourself into overwhelming social situations, but you want to get up and take a few steps. You want to walk around the block, jog, walk, jog, and do these little muscle building activities that help you become more confident. So for me, that would be starting with something small, starting with 
um, going to a party and using the buddy system and knowing that you can leave if you feel uncomfortable or even something as simple as going out by yourself and taking a book to a coffee shop and just having this moment of uncomfortable or discomfort um, in a social, in a place where there are other people and just kind of stretching the muscles, testing the muscles, strengthening the muscle. But more frequently, I've been asking myself two questions when it comes to social things um, in order to help me decide where where I want to kind of play in a social experience. Because even me, six, you know, I think I'm coming up six years alcohol-free, um, even after this amount of time, there's always new social experiences that feel scary. So uh, like the experience uh, you mentioned a couple of weekends ago on Halloween, I dressed up as Britney Spears and accidentally entered a costume contest as Britney Spears. And if you've never been in a costume contest, here's what you need to know is that you don't just walk across the stage and be like, this is my costume. If you enter, you have to perform to win the costume contest. So I fully became Britney Spears, did a full performance, sober as hell in the room of complete strangers who were all extremely attractive. And this was an edge for me. Okay. This was an edge because I, if dancing as Britney Spears at a costume contest isn't an edge for you, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. But what I will tell you is I thought of two things. I thought, number one, what would make a younger version of me stand up and fucking cheer so hard? And guess what? A younger version of me would have adored and admired that so much, someone getting up and doing that. And so I knew that would make her feel so proud of me. The younger little Amanda 17-year-old Amanda who adored and admired Britney Spears and would have given anything to have the fucking courage to do that. So that was my number one judgment stick, um, measurement stick. The number two was if I were, well, I am, first of all, I am the main character in my own movie. What is going to bring the biggest main character energy? What is going to make that main character look and feel triumphant? What is going to make the Lizzo you know, song come on in the background or whatever song come on in the background um, of the scene of this movie. And that was going across the stage dressed as Britney Spears. And what would make the the audience like, what would play, make the sad song come on? And that would just be going home. So I asked myself, what would my younger self cheer for? And what would be the biggest main character energy? Now, that might just be going to a party alone for some people. I, I think that, you know, I have a seven-year edge on most people to get up and do um, a, I didn't sing because Brittany doesn't sing either, but to get up and do a performance is an edge, but you got to find whatever that version of you, what version is for you, what would make your little kid clap and what would make the main character look really triumphant, whatever version of that is for you make that your ultimate goal and measure your life, measure your experiences, measure what you choose to do against those two questions. And I guarantee you, you're going to live a life that you feel really proud of um, and happy about, even when it's hard, even when it feels scary. Thank you so I'm much. I'm start asking sure myself that. that question. Yes, they're you know, good. I, I never have thought of that. Like maybe I've thought about it like afterwards <laughs> and asked mm-hmm. myself those questions and I would have been like, damn, I should have thought of that. Yeah on stage, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that is fucking awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's, I, I only thought of it after that experience because it's just like, you got to do it for the plot and the plot is going to be so much more exciting if you just rip off the bandaid and do this thing. And let me tell you what, I am, I am very much an introvert in those situations. So know that you can do whatever 
feels good for you. And there are, you know, there are so many possibilities of how you can step up in social situations, even if that's just going up to a stranger and starting a conversation. That was my edge three or four years ago. And your edge improves, your edge changes because you have, you've strengthened the muscle and you've become more brave and more outgoing and more, um, just more sure of yourself. Which is so funny because I'm definitely introverted. Um, Haley's definitely introverted. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this podcast was that thing for us. And especially for me, like when I was single and dating, I'm like, I got to do this for the plot. I got to do this for the podcast update next week. Mm -hmm. Like That was like what drove me to be able to do something. Yeah. So you're already doing it. And so everyone asked that version of your question. Like if I were writing my book, if I were, if I were podcasting, whatever it is, if someone were making a movie of my life, what would make the best scene? And you don't always have to do that. But if you can do that more often than not, you are just going to look back at your life and think, wow, I was a badass and I did all of that sober. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, I know our listeners are going to want to hear more from you. So I'm wondering if you can tell them where they can find you. I know you have a podcast, website, coaching courses, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so just let them know where they can find you and connect with you. Yes, I am almost everywhere at Amanda Kuda, And I have a podcast called Unbottled Potential. And um, I think that a lot of people who are int- or who are listening would really like, I have a five-day free course or free program called Awakened Without Alcohol. And a lot of, a lot of women are really enjoying um, kind of diving deeper into this spiritual connection between alcohol and sobriety. So I would recommend following me on Instagram and then check out that, um, check out that program. It's absolutely free. And I would love to connect with anyone who found this valuable. Thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you ladies for having me.